Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Lots of stuff in the news today. Uh, leak from the New York, leak from the, apparently from the Department of Justice. I will say this, not confirmed from the Department of Justice, but a leak which certainly tries to paint the Department of Justice's uh, probe of Donald Trump in the in the best possible light uh, shows that um, there was an allegation that Donald Trump had as many as 300 classified documents in his possession at Mar-a-Lago, and that was the reason for the raid. Uh, you know, it's an interesting story because, look, I mean, I, I worked with classified information and nobody should be taking that home. Um, however, especially if it's top secret and and or compartmented, which is the allegation here, which is that at least a few of the documents were of that uh, of that classification level. Uh, those are the types of things that shouldn't be outside of skiffs, let alone in somebody's, um, in somebody's basement or in somebody's um, garage or somebody's house. Um, and it's legit that the federal government looks into that when it happens. However, the question is, is why the raid? Why did they go someplace else other than the place where they knew those documents had been stored because they'd been discussing it with, with Trump? And why the leaks? Uh, the Department of Justice is currently asking a federal magistrate not to unseal the affidavit underlying the warrant application uh, because they said uh, they say it's going to expose, you know, sources and methods. Okay, fair enough. But then why are people leaking about what the Department of Justice found, what they were doing? Whether that's coming from the Department of Justice itself, the National Archives, lawyers associated with that, those leaks are clearly intended to spin this issue in favor of the Department of Justice. And it's certainly possible that the Trump side's leaking it in some sort of, you know, um, masterful reverse, you know, reverse dunk sort of thing. Um, I, I'm not going to discount that entirely, but it's not exactly the way that the Trump team, even his legal team, has operated in the past. I don't give him credit for for that kind of three dimensional chess um, in in this case. So it, it's it's it bears watching, and remember that the federal government has a legitimate interest in protecting those types of documents. So I don't want to discount that entirely, but there are ways to go about that, and there are consistent ways that they should be going about that. And in the case of Hillary Clinton, they didn't do any of this. They didn't even insist on getting the server back. They didn't issue a subpoena for it. They may have issued a subpoena for it. They didn't get a search warrant for it. They allowed Hillary Clinton to delete half of the emails that was that was on it before they before she gave the FBI access to it. Um, and she doesn't have declassification authority to do that on in, on anything that wasn't generated outside of the State Department. And so, and that server also, even after she wiped the server wiped at least half those emails off the server, still had top secret and compartmented uh, classified information, including NSA information that Hillary Clinton shouldn't have had in the first place. And it came to her through Sid Blumenthal. And Hillary Clinton also were, was instructing her subordinates to remove classification uh, markings in order to transmit classified information. It was fairly lower level stuff, confidential level stuff, but it's still classified. Confidential is a, is, is a classification, and all of the rules of classification apply to it. So this is, I, there, there are a number of issues around this, and I, I'm keeping my powder dry on all of them, but I'm, I am very, very, very skeptical that this leak came from any place other than the Department of Justice and in any other effort other than to try to 
argue from behind the wall of secrecy that they're doing the right thing. If Department of Justice wants to have a political debate over that, open up the affidavit. Let's have an, let's take a look at the evidence. Let's see what it was that they found uh, without actually, you know, talking about what the specific information is and what the steps were that they went through to get it and then compare that to efforts in other areas to serve similar subpoenas and search warrants and that sort of thing. Right now, as we, uh, as you'll find on tomorrow's podcast, not today's, the FBI already has a problem with that in, um, in relation to a criminal investigation that took place in Beverly Hills, where they lied to a federal magistrate, straight up lied to a federal magistrate to get a search warrant that they intended to use to seize materials rather than inventory them, uh, while telling the judge that they had no such intentions. And that's, that was an apolitical case. The FBI's got issues. The Department of Justice has issues. I, I don't trust any of them at this point in time. I don't trust Trump. I don't trust the Department of Justice. I don't trust the FBI to act in ways that are not politicized and because they've been acting in politicized ways up until now. So I think it's important that we keep an eye on that, a very close eye on that. Uh, other big news today, um, Twitter has problems. <laughs> I don't know how many people will agree with me on this. I suspect pretty much everybody, but the problems go way deeper and way farther than we know. Uh, the Their former uh, security chief, who was a very well-known uh, ethical hacker, was the term back in the late 80s, uh, joined Twitter a couple of years ago uh, to address some issues that, um, uh, that their uh, founder, uh, Jack Dorsey, had discovered in terms of security issues. Now, these were not new security issues. The FTC, in fact, forced Twitter into an agreement in 2011 to address a lot of the security issues, the data privacy issues. And Twitter had insisted that they were complying with this. Well, what Peter Zach, uh, uh, Zachko says is that they weren't complying with it at all and they were misleading the FTC into thinking that they were. There was foreign intelligence penetration into Twitter, which probably isn't terribly surprising. Uh, there were no real security controls. Data privacy issues were largely um, uh, ignored. Uh, they were deliberately using uh, uh, consumer data in ways that they had pledged not to. And the bot issue. <laughs> the bot issue is much worse than Twitter says it is in SEC filings, as well as in their in, in their legal fight with Elon Musk. So this is kind of a boon for Elon Musk, right? Because Twitter's suing him to enforce the terms of the original sales agreement, the buyout agreement, uh, which I think was $54 a share. And right now I checked this morning, it was 43. I'm not sure what it is at, at, at the moment here. It was $43 a share. My guess is it's probably gone down a little bit since this uh, story broke late last night and into early this morning at CNN and the Washington Post. Um, this is, I mean, it's a disaster. And I'm, I'm not sure why... Uh, Parag Agrawal decided that he really wanted to fight this in court with all of this in the background. Uh, Zatko was let go apparently in January after he tried to raise these issues uh, to the board and um, and he claims that Agrawal and other leadership uh, were blocking him from doing so. They wouldn't let he um, he tried to put this in writing to board members and they wouldn't let him do that. Uh, and so he ended up putting, pulling together a dossier with the supporting data and, and evidence and sent it off to the SEC, the uh, FTC, the Department of Justice, and a, uh, a Senate um, committee 
which uh, this week, they all received it this this week or the last few days. Maybe, I think it was last week when they received it. The story broke last night into this morning. So that's an interesting story, and it will be interesting to see what Elon Musk has to say about this once all of this gets uh, digested. Uh, he might end up being able to buy Twitter on the cheap <laughs> because I think that uh, Agrawal and, and the rest of the board might really want to get out from underneath this and and let somebody come in there that's going to actually clean house. Uh, tonight, primary is going on, right? New York and Florida. There's really not a lot interesting in the Florida race. Nikki Freed is running against Charlie Crist, and it looks like Charlie Crist should win that one. Actually, I thought Nikki Freed might end up on top there, but Charlie Crist will probably end up winning this. And he's trailing Ron DeSantis by seven points or so in the RCP average. This is not going to be close in Florida. Uh, you know, the CBS and The Hill, they're trying to say, well, you know, can Florida Democrats take down DeSantis? The answer is no. <laughs> but it will be interesting to, to, to watch it unfold over the next couple of months. They've been trying to take down DeSantis for two years, and they haven't dented him at all. And I, I think that Charlie Crist is going to have a heck of a time trying to convince people that he should be put back in the governor's mansion again. Um, New York. All pundits got a great post up about the New York primary. You got to watch. You got to go read that one. Uh, Gerald Nadler versus Carolyn Maloney. Jim Garrity actually has a really good piece on that. You should read that over at National Review. These guys, they're supposed to be friends and they are just going after each other viciously. I, I'm amazed that two politicians who have served for 30 years or more in Congress, one of them couldn't just take the hint and say, you know what, maybe it's time to retire. I'll let the other person have it. Um, their pensions are locked in. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, this is sort of like the, you know, ambition and power just overrides everything here. Uh, or just, if you didn't want to do that, run in a different district. They had the opportunities. Both of them had the opportunities to change districts. They're, they're living in the same redistricted district, but you don't have to live in a district in order to run for office. And you just have to live in the same state. Constitutionally, that's the only requirement. So they could very, one of them or both of them could have very easily gone to other districts. They chose not to do that. It's really ugly. So tonight's, tonight's um, uh, battle in New York, that, that's going to be something to watch. Read Alapundit's post on it. It's actually really excellent. And, um, and I know that you'll enjoy that. Um, in the meantime, here's Andrew Malcolm. We talk about his latest contributions over at redstate.com. We talk about the uh, media bias and, and the news of the day. And, uh, and don't forget tomorrow, Eric Baim from Reason is going to talk to us about that other FBI case. But that's tomorrow's podcast. Today, we've got the prince of Twitter, the regent of Red State with us. Stay tuned for more and stay tuned at the end for my uh, editorial for uh, Salem Radio and Town Hall uh, commentary, as well as uh, an explanation of what you can do to support this podcast and to support Hot Air. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. You've already seen him. He's already just popped up on the screen. The Prince of Twitter, the Regent of RedState.com, Andrew Malcolm, at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitter. This is RedState.com, obviously. And uh, one of our VIP and sometimes just plain old columnist uh, authors at RedState.com. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. It's another week. Boy, these weeks are going fast. You know, Andrew... Um, yeah, they're going fast, but uh, sometimes not fast enough, right? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, for the first time since you and I were in grade school and, you know, in short pants, Anthony Fauci is not going to be working for the for the federal government. <laughs> uh, 
I know I'm devastated. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can. Can I live in a world where 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 Anthony Fauci is not issuing diktats um, to to the rest of America as the as the highest paid federal employee, including, by the way, in comparison to the president of the United States. Fauci is he actually, really? Yeah, is he, really? he makes four hundred and thirty something thousand dollars a year. What? <laughs> yeah. This this came out either early this year or late last year. Somebody took a look at what he makes. He's been around so long, right? He's been around so wow. long that he makes he literally makes more than the president of the United States does on salary. And um, well, he yeah. can afford to get a lot of uh, uh, vaccinations then. Well, no wonder this guy didn't retire when he was you know sixty five years old or seventy years old. I think was he seventy eight, seventy nine, something like that. I think I think he's pushing eighty. Um yeah, he's gonna retire yeah. in December. Big announcement. Um uh, on Monday afternoon uh, Monday um, I wonder why. I wonder why. Uh if there's some some quiet disgruntlement behind the scenes about him. He's talked about it though. I, I don't think that that's it. I, he's talked I, about well if you're eighty years old you have to talk about retiring <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I, this podcast is going to have is going to include my um, my uh, editorial on this point. But this guy is has been a disaster for the last two years um, and arguably going back into the 1980s. I mean, the uh, the AIDS activists didn't have a whole hell of a lot of love for Fauci, at least in the beginning of that either. Um, now he kind of came along with them after a certain point, but uh, they were very incensed about Fauci back then. And honestly, you can kind of get an idea of why this guy's all over the place. He is um, basically, I mean, he's, he's still pushing mandates that don't have any um, scientific foundation. This guy is an apparatchik whose who's first answer to everything apparently is, well, the government is going to tell you what to do. Yeah, no, I I think uh, there's an awful lot of people. Well, Pete Pete uh, over transportation, he's he's in the the government telling people what to do. But I think there's an awful lot of people who are have had enough of that, uh, and have had enough of the repercussions of government telling what to do because government was wrong. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you know it's it's. It's sort of the lack of humility. You know, I was I, I wrote this this morning because it, it was announced that he was leaving. He's leaving in December, by the way. So we've we've still got four more months of Fauci, or three months of Fauci anyway. Let's see, four more months. That's a that's a three more months. That's a third of four hundred some thousand. So he's still still bundling it in. He'll probably get a probably get a pretty good pension. That's a, that's a, that's what it's it's a it's a quarter of a year, right? It's uh or, or you know roughly speaking, right? So he's going to make about one hundred and ten thousand dollars over that period of time. Uh, yeah, why not? I wouldn't mind making $110,000 over the next three months. You can alert our bosses. <laughs> and uh, and I don't know if he does the mil uh, the pension the way <clears throat> the military does, but it's like the average of the three highest years. It is. It's fe a federal pension, right? So, yeah. I mean, he's going to get a federal pension, and it's going to be based on his three or five highest years, something like that, that get averaged out, and that's the basis for the pension. And, um, you know, he's, he's salaried, so you don't have the overtime thing. You know, in California, the pensions are, pension system is, is collapsing 
because it's it <laughs> it was wildly um out of balance from oh, the yeah. input that they were getting in part because of that same rule right it was it wasn't your salary it was your actual gross income so if you worked a ton of overtime you could really push your retirement up yeah doing yeah. that and a lot of people in that pension fund did that and that's now they're paying the, the pension funds going to pay the price because they can't uh, they can't match it that's not fauci's problem obviously but still where do the pension funds come from well they're supposed to come from the employer which means it's the taxpayers that fund it yeah and the taxpayers exactly are going to be on the hook. exactly yeah. yeah yep and it always comes back to that uh, oddly enough oddly but enough don't, but back. don't worry gas gas prices are down <laughs> yeah you know there's some new polls that came out too you know about um about where people are at and the nbc news poll is interesting the the job approval number is about the same as it was for biden i think it went up the disapproval went up by a, a single point i mean it's basically the same but what i found interesting was that 68% of Americans, Andrew, think that we're in a recession and 74% think we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Why would they think that with Joe Biden maybe running the show? Maybe it's because. Well, he's not running the show. He's on vacation right. again. But but when he's when he is running, appearing to run the show. Well, when he's appearing to run the show, um, the show isn't running very well. And that's, that's what right. that's what the problem is. And of course, the media was very fast to report that the big story out of that poll was that Americans think that threats to democracy is going to be the biggest issue in the, in the oh, midterm elections. Yeah, yeah. You saw that? Yeah. So they pounced on that. Yeah, they pounced. Republicans didn't pounce on that. The media pounced on that. I mean, you take a look at the rest of the stuff in that poll. And you take a look at the Gallup poll. This is a Gallup survey I'd never heard of, Andrew. I mean, you know, we've got to talk a little bit about this one. The Life Evaluation Index. I, I've never heard of this. So they've been doing it for about no. 16 yeah. years, right? But apparently, things are bad enough that we just hit a big new record on people who are um, suffering <laughs> in the American economy, or just in America, basically, in general. Um hit a new record of 5.6%. Um, that's up from 3.9% when Joe Biden first took office. It was kind of nice because yeah. we had a handy data point on that in February of 2021. Um, yeah. You put all that together. And Andrew, don't you have to think that this, the midterm electoral environment is just uniquely, and I mean, really uniquely bad. We haven't seen anything like this in decades. Yeah, it is. It it looks bad. I did a post of some weeks ago on this, and I said, "Well, Dad, but don't don't get too cocky uh, if you're uh, cheering against uh, um, Joe Biden's approval, because these things can change." But historically, I don't think there's been any president's party, incumbent, newly incumbent president's party, who who did not lose seats in the midterm when he was underwater in the spring approval ratings. So it's a pretty good indication. Uh, they are, Ron Klain saying what, they're, they're going to make an argument that he's, it's been a season of achievement uh, uh, with, with Joe as, as the president uh, and uh, making an argument about 
spending a lot of money and so on. And they don't, they don't mention Afghanistan uh, inflation. Of course, they go with the unemployment rate um, being low because so many people have given up looking, uh, looking for work. So yeah, there'll be an argument about it. But uh, uh, if people bother to go to vote, which is the main decision to make, uh, it, it looks patently bad for Democrats. Right. And I mean, this is important. And I've, I've talked about this on other podcasts. I'm, I'm not sure if we, you and I have discussed this. But I mean, this is very much a um, a unique environment that we didn't see in 20, even in 2010, which, you know, we, we still were having economic issues in 2010. Yeah. But things were starting, had pretty much stabilized by that point in time. And even by even by the end of 2009, things had pretty much stabilized. And but, uh, but, but Obama and Biden were showing strong signs of the arrogance that got them in, in trouble. They even lost Massachusetts that year. <laughs> That's true. You're right. They lost Massachusetts in a special election. Um, that was Martha Coakley, right? That was um, the nominee uh, for that. Yeah, and Scott Brown. And yeah, Scott she, Brown. Was, she wasn't great. Uh, but uh, she, I mean, she wasn't a great candidate, but uh, there was a sour taste just like now uh in in people's mouths you know the arrogance remember we have to pass this to find out what's in it yep uh not a single republican vote uh and you know americans have uh, can't complain because they're the ones who elected and gave in in those days they gave uh also they gave complete control of washington to the democrats right and that usually swings back fairly quickly um uh, uh, they did the same thing in, in 2020, and um, uh, hopefully they, it swings back now. We need to get at least one house because despite the media's hopes for keeping the Senate, um, they need to stall this incredible spending orgasm that, that Joe Biden is, is having. I mean, it's just beyond belief, over $6 trillion. Yep. Please, please, nobody tell them what comes after trillion. <laughs> we won't mention it here. Quadrillion. Yeah. But we won't Quadrillion, say it. Yeah. yeah, we won't yeah. say that again. Don't don't say the Q word, folks. Nobody says the Q word. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember back in the 60s, uh, Everett Dirksen, you know, and, and it was a great long-lived evergreen quote. Everett Dirksen, the Republican leader in the Senate, uh, said, boy, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about big money. Right. Uh, and of course, a billion in those days was big money. Now, hey, send 30 more over. It, yeah. It's hey, it's whatever. It's just a couple of billion dollars. It's just yeah. changed these days. Yeah, yeah. right. I, we can print it. But like, remember Jay Leno? I loved that ad. Years ago, Jay Leno was doing Doritos ads. And at the end, he always said, eat all you want. We'll make more. That's right. <laughs> Spend all you want. We'll, we'll make more. more. We'll make more. Eat all, eat all the dollars you want. We'll make more. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that. Uh, this cycle, you can't rely on the... 2010 2012 2014 2018 paradigms this is going to be a much different context and i think that 
the media outlets, you know, this is the other thing too. The media outlets, and you know, we, you and I like to talk media. The media outlets for the last two weeks, ever since oh. Joe Manchin, <laughs> I'm already Andrew Malcolm, the Prince of Twitter, is already disgusted. Yet I persist. Um, <laughs> no, go ahead. Ever since, ever since the uh, you know Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer made that deal. The only thing that you hear from the media is that Joe Biden's coming back. It's a big comeback for Joe Biden. Come back. Oh, come back. Yeah. It's kind of like, back. did you ever see that? Did you ever see the movie Eight Men Out about the um, Chicago Black Sox scandal? Oh, I, I no, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a very good movie. Um, and and I highly recommend it. It's a very good movie. <laughs> There's this one scene in the final game, you know, because the Sox are just throwing this, throwing the series right and left. They're playing terrible and all this. <laughs> Lefty Williams gives up nine runs in the first inning of the last game. And somewhere like around the seventh inning, this kid gets up in the bleachers and says, come back, come back. It's the most pathetic thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> come back, come back. And, yeah. and I mean, that's the media with Joe Biden. And the big comeback oh. is, as, as the Washington Post reported today, the big comeback is nobody who's a, 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 at any risk at all in, in this year's midterms wants Joe Biden campaigning for him. I, did you see this thing, the Washington yeah, Post today? Yeah. He might not. He, According to the Washington Post, he might not be the top surrogate this year. He might not. He no, might not, imagine no, that. No. Yeah. Jake, Jake Tapper had Mark Kelly on. I, I love this clip. Jake Tapper had Mark Kelly on. <laughs> Tapper asked him, you want Biden... You know, you want Biden to uh, be with you on the campaign trail? And, you know, Mark Kelly's homina, 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 homina. And Jake Tapper says, well, that doesn't sound like an open invitation. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, I mean, this media thing about the big comeback, even Democrats aren't buying this comeback kid no. stick. No. It, it, they, you know, it's been a... It's not a new thing. They've been dodging him for a long time. Stacey Abrams and yep. and uh, uh, in California, I forget who it was, um, or no, it was Nevada. Nevada. They didn't. Uh, they didn't show up when he was there. It's um, you know, I'm not sure how much uh, power Trump does. Obviously, Trump uh, has a lot of clout with his endorsement, but. Joe Biden appearing for you somewhere. I don't, I don't, it's not, he's not Mr. Dynamo. So I don't know that uh, everybody's going to go, well, if Joe's for him, I got to vote for him. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. No, you don't think so, huh? Get oh, away. I don't, I don't, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, so the, so the comeback kid thing ain't working. Uh, it didn't work for Liz Cheney either, although nobody and, really... And the gas price plummeting, that's not working. And inflation uh, slowing, that's not working. It's not working, guys. I, I understand they're trying, but... Uh, and and they're, they're trying like Martin Goebbels, you know, if you tell the big lie up long enough, people will start to believe it. And I guess there are those drinking the Biden Kool-Aid uh, who who believe it but yeah I no mean, one who's think no one who's thinking no it's 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 insane um it's insane to think that there's a comeback brewing when he's at 4056 in a, in a NBC news poll of all places uh, I th this is not a comeback um <laughs> 
So uh, anyway, let's move on to what you're writing about because um, you've got one that's out from behind the paywall and you've got one behind the paywall. I want to start with the paywall one because, of course, the big news last week was that Liz Cheney got trounced yeah. in her um, in her attempt to um, win the primary. She was facing a primary challenger in Wyoming. And, you know, Dwayne and I talked about this last week. You and I didn't get a chance to talk about it because, it, you know, the election took place after yeah. we were discussing yeah. this. But um, you're saying it, it wasn't just Donald Trump why people why people in Wyoming turned against her. I mean, and this was not close. This was, no. I think, the largest margin. The second largest, second in, largest in sixty okay. years. Second largest in sixty years. Yeah. For an incumbent, yeah. for an incumbent congressperson. For an yeah. incumbent congressman, yeah, it was shellacking. Yeah, it was uh, 30, 37, 38 points. Uh, shellacking, and she had to know it was coming. Um, well, Trump's endorsement power—he's done pretty well, and he's going—he's gone after uh, the ten who voted for his impeachment, and um, I think uh, besides or including resignations and so on, I think there's eight gone now that he's got. So obviously, he has great power. And Wyoming is not an exception. Now, Wyoming, actually, I found it interesting. Wyoming was the first state to give women the, the right to vote. Right. And uh, that was uh, 51 years before the nation did, uh, 1869. And the reason, which I find fascinating, of course, is that the West was was really quick on on equality with women. Uh, the first woman elected to Congress was from Montana next door was because on the frontier, everybody did everything. So it, it made no sense to, uh, I mean, there were women driving oxen with plows and they all, everybody did everything. And so they reflected that in their, uh, in their, um, in their politics, which I think is great. So there were two women running. Now, um, Harriet Hageman, uh, who Trump endorsed, was was late to the Trump bandwagon and late to the election was stolen um, right. mantra. Uh, she is a hard right conservative, wasn't all that well known. She had a brief run for the for governor in, I think, 2018. She was in, not a politician, her father, was uh, 20 years in the state legislature, but uh, uh, she was an environmental law uh, politician and um, uh, I mean lawyer. And right. uh, uh, her ads were, this is the point I make in the, in the column Sunday, her ads were very slick. And there's not many people in, Mon in Wyoming who, th who think that it was her team that did it. So they think there's a lot of invisible help from Trump uh, with the ads and with the clearing of the field. Now, it's typical in Wyoming uh, for these kinds of primaries uh, to have a crowded field. There was not one. There were no significant challengers to Liz Cheney besides Margaret Hageman. Right. Uh, so Trump could focus his energies, his PACs could focus their energies, their organizational efforts. And, um, you know, she's not, uh, Hageman is not uh, a dynamo, but I don't think that's what mattered. Um, 
Uh, Wyoming is the most Republican state uh, in the country, registered Republicans. I think it's like 70% of the electorate is registered Republicans. Wow. And yeah, and that electorate uh, gave Trump his biggest margin of victory of any state. So uh, they liked him. They still like him, obviously. And more importantly, they don't like Liz Cheney. Uh, the the signs did the signs didn't say uh, uh, elect Hageman. The signs said dump Cheney. And it's this is another thing I mentioned in the column. It, it's it's quite strange. Her father uh, he, he didn't revel in retail politics like Bill Clinton did, but her father was was much more attentive to Wyoming. He had five terms. Uh, Liz was going for her fourth. Uh, but you could find Dick Cheney uh, at Nora's on Fish Creek in Jackson Hole, sitting in his favorite table in the back. People can come up and talk issues with him and so on. Liz Cheney uh, was a total klutz about regist- uh, being uh, being in Mont in uh, Wyoming, keep saying Montana. That's where I work. Right uh, in in Wyoming, um, she uh, uh, and and the and the Wyoming political decorum. Uh, she tried to re- to show her Wyoming residency about ten years ago with a fish and game license, which Ed, you and I can buy. So that didn't work. So she bought a house or a, an apart condo in uh, in Jackson Hole which is where her father hangs out since he grew up in Casper, which is where Trump did his rally, of course. Right. In your, in your face, Janie. Um, and um, uh, uh, so she had the residency and she, in 2000, what was it, 13, I think, uh, or 15, I maybe it was, she openly challenged Mike Enzi, who was the incumbent, Republican governor, uh, Republican senator, and very popular. Well, right. you know, I mean, it, it's a get along place, you know, and that's kind of pushy. It's like honking your horn when somebody's a little slow at the at the green light in downtown Cheyenne. You just you just don't do that in in the in rural Western culture. Uh, and uh, you don't put on airs. You pay attention to the locals. At least you look like you're paying attention. When she announced her, this is so stupid. When she announced her Senate candidacy, she did it on a Facebook post that was geotagged McLean, Virginia. Uh, yeah. So you know, and so it, it's an open invitation to be labeled as a carpetbagger. And her whole campaign was based on Trump, 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 Trump. In her concession statement, she mentioned uh, Wyoming one time. Uh, in his controversial ad in favor of his daughter, Dick Cheney, didn't mention the state at all. Yeah, it was all Trump, 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 Trump. So uh, Wyoming voters, as the Republicans, said, "Well, wait a minute. We want a Wyoming person representing Wyoming, not a Washington person pretending to be a." A Wyoming person, so um, so she got shellacked, really shellacked. She had to know it was coming. Um, uh, and what you do when you're when you get what you don't usually do when you get shellacked like that is announce almost announce a presidential campaign. I mean, <laughs> yeah. your home state won't take you by an historic margin, 
but I might run, I might run for president, which to the rest of the country is like, what? And I mean, even if yeah, it's a grift. Liz Cheney, that's strange to do, but here's the reason it, and you and I have talked about this. The media loves Republican Mavericks. I call it the John McCain uh, theorem, uh, where if you're a Republican uh, fighting against Republicans, you are a star yep. and you're going to get all kinds of attention. And sure enough, they didn't have the winner on the Sunday show uh, from Wyoming. They had the loser and uh, talking about the, uh, talking about the future. Uh, which she didn't in her campaigns. She didn't talk about what we need to do. She talked about, I'm going to do everything possible to ensure Donald Trump doesn't get anywhere near the Oval Office. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And so she, she, she paid the price. So she must have wanted martyrdom. Uh, I can't, uh, I just, I, it's inexplicable. You want martyrdom. Or you're so totally stupid politically about your home state that that you. Well, I kind I kind of think of it as a grift. She wants to raise money. Yeah, she, she wants to raise yeah, money. Yeah, for and, her, yeah, yeah, and and within hours of losing, she announced her pack, which is a great task. It's called, which is a, a phrase from a closing line of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. So. Uh, good luck. Good luck with that. But that will enable her to go around the country and talk and maybe give money to some other candidates uh, who are like her. I can't imagine there will be many. Uh, but who knows? I mean, that's what makes politics interesting. It's unpredictable, especially the modern years. Yep. Very true. Very true. It is unpredictable. And uh, and what isn't unpredictable, of course, is that Andrew has great VIP columns. So you got to go over to redstate.com to, to see that. <laughs> Just very quickly, we got a couple of minutes. Um, your Malcolm on the right was uh, how the COVID st thing brought back some useful stuff. Um, oh, I, don't yeah. remember, I don't remember face masks ever being in vogue, Andrew. So I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no. Well, actually, they were in the in the flu. And the, there were there oh, that's were, true. Uh, yeah, you're right. There were arrests in the 1918 Spanish flu uh, epidemic uh, because people weren't wearing masks. When I was a kid in Cleveland, urban Cleveland, in the 40s, if somebody had something uh, in those days, of course, it could be smallpox, polio, or whatever. There were signs uh, tacked to the door, so you didn't go in. Um, I don't remember having any of those signs, but uh, I was tickled because everybody's talking about all oh, this wonderful modern thing. It's home delivery, right? Get your groceries delivered. And I said, well, that was happening 70 years ago. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, in fact, farmers, when I was growing up in the Cleveland suburbs, farmers brought their trucks in into the streets and they honked their horn and people came out and bought fresh vegetables that were just picked. Uh, they did meats, they delivered ice, they delivered coal. Um, the mail came uh, even on Sundays. Uh, in some cities, the mail was delivered twice uh, a day. Um, and everything was, uh, was, was sold, even door to door, you know, full of brush men. Uh, uh, we had, and something I mentioned was we had a, uh, a guy selling came to our door when I was a kid uh, selling tree seedlings. And my father thought it was hilarious, but 
he ended up buying one. So, uh, yeah. and, and it grew for a long time. So, um, yeah, we had, my dad bought a used car. We lived in the country in that, at that time. The dealership from Cleveland drove 25 miles out to deliver the car. Uh, and that uh, actually happened to me in the, in the pandemic. That, yeah, actually, yeah. that actually happened to me I know, in the pandemic. I know, but see, it's, yeah. it's not new, Edward. I guess not. <laughs> no. Uh, and um, telegrams, you know, it didn't have texting, so telegrams came that way. It was uh, uh, for urgent messages, and nobody wanted telegrams in World War II days because right. that's how you heard you lost someone in the family. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it was kind of fun to, uh, to re reminisce and to point out that all these people are excited about this new thing, home delivery, um, it ain't new. It ain't new. No, I mean, I'm, I remember when I was a kid, the, um, the bakers had, um, local bakers would send trucks around and you could buy bread and all sorts of different yeah. bakes. Bakers and dairy, dairy farms. Yeah, dairy farms. Dairy farms used to come around in trucks. And of course, milk deliveries were a thing everywhere. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we had, and in fact, we had the Darrow Darrow Dairy, Darrow Dairy, in uh, in rural Ohio, and they made a note so that uh, the day before a birthday in the house, they delivered chocolate milk. Oh, that's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, that's that's yeah, actually very cool. And 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 doctors. I mean, you got medical care delivered to the house. You had home uh, home visits. That's right. Uh, that's if the kid was too sick and I want to bring him in the office and get everybody else sick. So he came around with his little bag, sat next to the bed, and gave me a shot or whatever it was. Uh, it was, uh, uh, they had party lines. We had party lines in those days. And here's the thing, Ed, I can remember the phone number that we had uh, when I was a kid, but I can't remember the password. Uh, that I that I that I made over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, memory works that way, unfortunately. But uh, uh, well, one last thing before we go, just uh, really quickly. Um, new opening at HotAir.com for yeah. full-time contributor. You know, we're we're looking to expand. Karen Townsend, by the way, is joining us full-time. So this is in addition to Karen. And uh, so you know, we're posting up the job. If you haven't seen that at Hot Air and you're and you're watching or listening to the podcast, uh, you can find the posting for this. But yeah, we're we're hoping to do some some new things, get a couple of fresh voices in here, and um, maybe do a few other new things after after Labor Day is kind of what we're aiming for, Andrew. Yeah, well, um, if I wasn't taken, Ed, I would be back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, there you go. I, you know, I, I missed out on, I, it could have been the region of hot that's air, but he's the region, right, he's the region right. of, you he's the region of totally, totally blew it. I did. Uh, I totally blew it. Yeah. I don't know if I'm into, uh, into full time anymore, but I well, do have yeah. fun. I do have fun with you for all these years and at, at uh, red state for now a year and a half. Yeah. It's been great over there. I, your stuff gets lots of traction and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So you got to go to redstate.com and read everything that Andrew's doing. We're going to wrap things up, but not before we get a joke of the day. We're back uh, to the, the week. joke we of the week. Yeah. Joke of the week. Um, yeah. Um, well, uh, these are old jokes. Uh, but, uh, so Conan replay. He said, uh, yesterday a brawl broke out during Joe Biden's speech in China. 
apparently someone was blocking the exit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now that's a that's a darn good joke, and that's a good joke to go out on. Andrew Malcolm, <laughs> the prince of Twitter at AH Malcolm. And, of course, region of redstate.com, which we've been saying, redstate.com. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk again next week. You bet, Ed. Thanks, you, and thanks, everybody. See you then. Stay tuned for one last message from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up. This is Ed Morrissey of hotair.com for Town Hall. Anthony Fauci has announced his departure from his role with the NIH and most importantly, as Joe Biden's chief medical advisor. By December, Fauci will depart these positions after 38 years in government. It's welcome news. Fauci serves more as a cautionary tale on the pandemic embrace of scientific leaders dictating public policy. While hardly alone in airing repeatedly, Fauci made himself the public face of a scientific technocracy that pushed top-down diktats and devastating lockdowns and access restrictions almost none of which measurably improved public health. As Biden's advisor, he pushed unconstitutional mandates with little or no scientific foundation, leading the pushback against those who dared to question these eventually discredited policies. The past two years have provided us an object lesson on the failure of expert rule and why public policy should come from elected officials accountable to citizens. Let us remember Fauci by ensuring we never produce his like again. I'm Ed Morrissey. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.